0: Welcome to episode 21 of Anatomy of Tone. This week, I thought I would take some time to discuss my thoughts on playing live and the challenges that exist in that environment. And this week, I'm preparing to, or actually by the time you're hearing this podcast, I've already been on tour with my band Silvertooth Cactus. And also the week prior, I had been part of a benefit with my wife, Abby Allman, and we played a show where there was a bunch of other performers at the same time. It was, everybody was switching after playing one or two songs, you'd get on stage and there was a changeover. So I wanted to hit a couple different angles about the various positions we find ourselves in. I hope everybody's enjoying this podcast. And if you are, please leave me a rating, some stars on any of the the platforms that you're using to listen to this on, or Apple, or if you can leave a review, that would really help get this podcast more exposure to other people that also may enjoy it. I also offer lessons in guitar bass, drums, music theory, recording and production, composition. If you're looking to further your education and understanding of music, please reach out to me. You can find me at anatomyofguitartone.com, where there'll be a contact and uh, there's other other uh, materials on there as well as including like reviews of pedals I've done and also uh, additional content related to the podcast. And you can hear some of my music on there as well, or go to futurerelicsmusic.com to hear my music library of more of the eclectic side of library music that I make. I'm going to start discussing my experience last week, which was playing with Abby for this benefit. Now, uh, Abby was playing rhythm guitar. She's a fantastic guitar player. And I was going to add some color to it, but she wanted me to play electric guitar. And I needed to plug into an amp that was going to be on stage that somebody was already using. There was going to be no sound check and no real time in between to a sound or get a sense of how the amp was working i knew it was likely going to be one of two amps a vox ac15 or a princeton both of which i have a lot of experience with i own them but also have a lot of experience with them and they may vary depending on the model that you get in the club so even if you know how they work you may be thrown a surprise there are a couple of things that are challenging about this environment and as you guessed like just having to show up and jump on stage with an electric instrument and plug in your pedal board and plug in your amp can be challenging to get like a sound going and get comfortable with the volume. For this particular track that we're doing, I want to use a chorus and that would be a good idea to have a tuner accessible and maybe some gain pedal or essentially a pedal to use as a preamp in case the amp isn't sounding great and maybe like a spatial effect so it doesn't sound so dry. Uh, and it turns out when I plugged into the AC-15 that was the side of the stage I ended up on, the sound was, uh, I wasn't completely comfortable with it. I had not a lot of time to adjust it first thing i adjusted was the volume and some of the gain staging on it just to to get it uh, sitting better Um, first thing i did was i took a picture of the settings on it so i could put it back where it was which i thought was important to the house band so a lot of the set was with a house band and then they would have guests come up but for abby's song it was just me and abby so I was using an amp that the house guitar player had already gotten comfortable using. And so the first thing I did is I took a picture of the settings on there so I could put it back just to be friendly because they already had their setup happening. They were comfortable. I don't want to tamper with that, but I needed to change it for myself to be able to play. There are a couple of ways I go about this. Sometimes I use console tape, which is like masking tape. What I do is I just use a, a large piece of tape and pour it across the amp and use a Sharpie marker to write down the settings of each of the knobs. Now, this works great if you're able to do this in soundcheck. I was jumping on stage. There really wasn't going to be time to do this, so I just put the, the light on my iPhone and I took a, a picture of where all the settings were. So when I was done, I could look at the picture and reset it, and then I started making my adjustments to try to get it to sound friendly. Uh, the reverb didn't seem to be working on the amp, which happens so many times at venues. So. Uh, I just used the Strymon El Capi stand, which is what I have on my pedal board, and it does a great job of adding delay and also has a hidden spring reverb sound in it that I really like. Well, so there were a couple of other challenges for this gig where I had my pedal board placed wasn't really convenient to turning things on and off when I was playing because I didn't have it on the floor. I sort of had it up on a ledge just because there were a lot of people coming and going, and it just there wasn't the floor space wasn't uh, really a, uh, an optimal position to place my pedal board. So I had things in line. And one of the challenges once I got my sound going was Abby was talking to the audience, kind of trying to just waste some time, give me some time to get set up. And she was ready to go. I still wasn't ready to go, even though I had my pedal board pretty much wired. Before we went on, I was just plugging in. It just took a second to adjust and get volumes and figure out what was going on because it wasn't sounding awesome The the, the previous guitar player was playing his own pedal board through it which probably you know worked with his setup but it wasn't working with mine and one of the issues was it was the amp was really quiet and it wasn't sounding good because it wasn't pushing enough volume so I turned that up and I quickly noticed that one of the challenges with the stage is it almost seemed like the monitors on stage were louder than the the speakers in the house and loud really loud monitors can be disorienting because It just messes with your awareness of how loud you could be playing on stage. As a musician, you're often gonna balance yourself to the musicians around you. This is why on some gigs, if I can, I actually put nothing in my monitors. And hopefully we're we're standing next to each other close enough on stage that we could all hear each other and I don't have to put things in my monitor. Sometimes the vocal if I need to, but often I can hear the vocals coming through the vocal monitor. Of course, this is different if we're playing with in-ears, but I'm talking if we're, we're on a stage where we're, we're not using in-ears. So I try to just hear everybody on stage and then that gives me a way to balance myself to the instruments on stage, meaning that the band sound on the stage is balanced against each other and then when it comes to the sound reinforcement it's just reinforcing certain elements of that sound to carry in the room. What happens sometimes if if the monitors go on too soon then everybody starts adjusting their volume to their particular monitor and not everybody's monitor volume is going to be the same. So somebody might have a really cranked monitor volume and then they're turning their amp up to match their monitor kicking back at them. This is problematic because now the band is not balanced themselves anymore against each other. They're balancing themselves against a independent monitor mix, which is not reflective of the sound coming off the stage. I've seen people in this situation, including myself being guilty of, of this as needing to turn up my aunt to compete against the monitor. And it ends up being way too much in the front of house because that's not actually what the volume of the room is like. So one thing I like to do as a musician if I can. This was not the situation for it, but I like to get a balance with the band before the monitors are happening, before anybody starts getting their monitor mix. Monitors off, the band starts playing, we get our sounds with one another, then we could start kicking on the monitors and and adjusting the levels of monitors from there after the band is balanced. You'll find that the volume of the band is gonna be much more consistent coming off the stage and more balanced, and then the sound reinforcement does what it's supposed to do, it just reinforces the sound. So I couldn't do this on this gig, there was was no time for that. The monitors were really loud and really bright, and just, it was, a little intense, especially considering we were just a duo. So I, uh, I, I, I had to turn my amp up in this case. I'm not sure how it translated in the house, but it was a bit of self survival move to, to just get through the song. Uh, now, the, the tricky thing about this is I, I, I didn't even get a chance to check my sounds. I just made sure I had signal coming through and, and, and I knew what wasn't happening with the amp. And I tried to make those adjustments and just get the delay on and, and a chorus on and just know I had sound and go. Uh, my cable was hanging down on my pedal board and as I was moving, as we started playing the song, it was bumping the mix knob on the El Capistán that the delay reverb send. And so I had to keep going back and forth to, uh, it took me a second to figure it out, but then to just bring my reverb down because it was, it was too wet. So my mind, as we're playing the song, which we practiced once, we had played it a long time ago, and i knew the song but it was i definitely would have preferred to have my concentration be front and center but i have to remember what the parts i created that day or or have revisited and and i changed some of the parts from how we used to play it i had to be present to concentrate on that but at the same time I was going back and and tweaking the amp because it was too loud then it was too quiet it was a really touchy volume knob on the amp I was doing that and adjusting the mix on the the reverb and I had to make a tweak to the chorus I have to do this all at the same time that my mind is like okay we're in the first verse and there's 8 bars okay we're going to switch to the chorus now it switches to a major tonality here so I have to catch that and be right on top of that meanwhile trying to troubleshoot what's not working with my my signal. And this is just a problem when you have to do these throw and go gigs where you don't get to line check your signals. Sometimes, even just doing a line check before the show, a sound check, just even checking your sound, one thing it does is even if it changes a lot by the time you get to it, you think, well, what's the purpose of sound checking it? which by the way, sound checking wasn't an option for this particular gig, but you might wonder what's the point? Well, the point is that you acclimate yourself to your surroundings. And even if they vary a little bit later and you don't get your exact monitor mix back, you get a sense of what the room is, you get a sense of how the guitar amplifier is working and how your pedal board is working in that scenario. Because if you've played through a lot of amps in live situations before, you'll know that depending on where the volume knob is on the amp and the gain staging, that it also changes the way. Way that your your pedalboard sounds and your sounds are, are, come across. So the more saturation on the amp, the more compressed your signal is, which is going to raise the volume of your echoes. And so there's a there's a there's a whole um, uh, chain effect that can happen there from playing in a live room and and needing to adjust the volume of a of a tube amp, which changes based on how hard the tubes are being pushed. One thing I like to do is use the Console tape, masking tape, Sharpie ideas to write down the settings on the pedals. Now, I didn't do that for this particular set or this song that we did at this charity because I was just running around a lot that day and and didn't get a chance to do it. And I had some settings on there from a gig I had done a couple of days before. Uh, and thought, okay, this will be fine. But actually, those settings didn't translate exactly well. I should have plugged in my chain to my amp and just double-checked what was going to work for this particular song and had that in mind instead of just kind of winged it a little bit with um, with knowledge or, or a setting from a previous gig which I, like I just mentioned it, it didn't translate as well as I had hoped plus my cable bumping the mix knob so I think it's always a good idea to check in on your signal chain if you're going to sit in on a song and you're going to take a few pedals test for that song specifically only, and then use the console masking tape to put on the pedals and and write down the settings. That way, if you get on stage, your knobs have been bumped when they're in your pedal bag, then you can just very quickly look and, and put them back to where you had them at home and make your adjustments from there. But at least you're starting from a stable position of this is what worked for this song. And then adjust accordingly. I got there and I was starting from scratch. I think I got there and and uh, I expected a little more time. Uh, Potentially, I thought we were gonna have a sound check. So I was like, okay, well, it won't be too big of a deal for me to show up and and just roll with it. But it was, so in these conditions, I think what I should need to say to myself and what I usually remember, but I took for granted is that you're always gonna have less time than you're gonna be comfortable with. And you have to concentrate on the song and it's about the performance. So the more you can set yourself up to hopefully not have to struggle then the better off you are. And a lot of times when you're playing one or two songs, it's not enough time to really get comfortable. Sometimes it takes a song to settle into your sounds. You jump on stage, you start playing a song. We played in Philly last night. It's a place called Kung Fu Necktie, which is a really awesome punk. Um, alternative club that is i I just really liked the venue a lot and it was great sound even in we got on stage we line checked and it took it took the first song and then the second song for me to get settled in with the amp i was using and just check all my pedals even though i checked them independently once the band was kicking full steam it was just i don't know had to to just settle a little bit. And that took about, it was over one song, maybe one and a half songs. And then I was like, okay, I don't have to touch any knobs anymore on the amp or the pedals. I'm good to go. Um, but that takes a little bit. So if you think about it, only having one song doesn't really give you enough, time to, to acclimate, so it's, it, it can be tricky and, and disorienting because your focus is gonna get pulled from playing the music to worrying about the gear that you have plugged in. I try to take as simple as a rig as I can for these situations. I think in retrospect, maybe it have been better if I took an acoustic guitar and we just both went DI and played two acoustics in, in, in a throw and go situation like that, only playing one song to no sound check. That would have been simpler, better, as opposed to dealing with a guitar amp and uh, pedals. So I would say take as little things as possible and try to make them as simple as possible uh, because you're going to have to adjust on the fly and the fewer elements that are there lead less windows open for potential problems. These are not my favorite style gigs because I usually like to get acclimated and get comfortable for when I'm playing so I can just tap into the feeling of what I want to express with the music. But it's important to do these charity gigs sometimes to raise money. And so it's more of a being there and just showing up and, and performing often than it is about actually really getting too deep into the music. And it's a di- more difficult than festival gigs. So a lot of times on festival gigs, you don't get a sound check, you get a line check, but because you're playing more songs, you can settle into it. It's usually taking the front of a house, engineer a song or so to get the mix up and running good. And then it also takes the musicians like a song or so to, to get settled with what's happening on stage. So uh, th- that situation, it, despite it being very difficult, is still more friendly than these one to two song events, max, that you you play and you jump on stage with, having no idea what's going to happen. I want to discuss preparing for a gig and and what is different from when you're practicing at home to that first gig that you do. For me, it always takes like one gig on a tour to settle into a set and really know, uh, I don't know, in in a concrete form, like definitively, like what works and what doesn't work, because everything else is simulated from there. You're often in a rehearsal room, you not you don't have the adrenaline that you do on stage. and somehow i don't know i feel like your brain categorizes it in a different way and you don't analyze it the same way maybe it's because you could just play it again and you don't have other listeners there you don't see them so you're not aware of maybe how they may be receiving it and so maybe you're more forgiving in the rehearsal room of of parts that might not work and then when you get on stage it's at that moment that you you have the realization that like okay that that now that I played this in front of people I accept that this isn't working and and it goes the same with creating sounds and balancing yourself with a band like. There, and even memorizing material, like material and just getting it inside my head or, or, or so much inside me that I could just play it without thinking about it doesn't really happen until after the first show. And last night I played, I mentioned in Philly with Silvertooth Cactus, which you can go to silvertoothcactus.com. And we've rehearsed. We don't play live a ton. We do a lot of recording. But we play only a show every couple of months or so because we don't want to oversaturate New York. But now we're starting to play more in some surrounding cities and areas. We're going to Ohio tomorrow. We're playing New York City tonight, and so we're um, we're we're starting to spread out, and that means we're gonna finally get a chance to play a couple of dates in a row and and have that experience as opposed to rehearsing songs, playing a show, and then sitting on it for a while, rehearsing songs, playing a show, sitting on it. So it brings up an interesting point of now getting to get to a certain level with this material. We practiced the other night and um and I knew a lot of this stuff, but I was still reviewing it. Hadn't had a chance to sit with it as much as I'd like before rehearsal. So rehearsal was also a refresher for me. When getting to the to the gig, I spent some time in between the rehearsal and the gig to Get deeper in the material. So I spent time listening to the songs, going over it again. And no matter what I do, it just doesn't seem to sink in the same way as I do on a gig. I feel like a gig has like this um, survival mode mentality to it that it really highlights and makes you just take it so much seriously and observe where the parts aren't working and where you have to memorize it. And I feel like for my particular brain, I don't, uh, memorizing is just always a challenge for me. My mind in itself, it likes to always just think of the next new thing it doesn't like holding on to old information so it's always about creativity and i think this is one of the reasons Like i'm always creating new music and i don't often remember a lot of the old things that i created like i couldn't just sit down piano and play a piece that i composed two months ago because i've already written a number of new pieces since then and i'm now just thinking about what i'm going to write tomorrow so this has always been I, I think a part of my personality which I think I didn't fully understand or appreciate that people are different. And some people have a way of just locking onto and remembering things long-term uh, Seth Andrzejczyk, who's in the band, he plays bass and he's one of the, the songwriters and he mixes a lot of the Silvertooth Cactus songs. He, his brain tends to work in a very different way. He's very much about memorizing parts, seems like he can remember them for very long periods of time, plays them exactly the same way every night. And that's his comfort zone. And mine tends to be a lot more like, okay, how am I going to approach this different? How can I change this? Uh, The idea of playing the same part every night is challenging for me. I have to fight myself because my my inner self is just like, well, what if you do it like this? What if you try it like that? Or what if you just do a slide here? Because I'm feeling it in the moment. And... I tend to play a lot of things in, or create a lot of things that I'm feeling right then, and it might be different than how I felt about it the day before. It doesn't always mean that I'm drastically changing notes or pitches, but sometimes I change the expression, and sometimes I do change the pitches because I just I'm hearing it differently right then. And to me, as a player, and everybody is different. I think it's important to figure out where you sit in in this, and and, and it's it's gradient. It's, it's not really a black and white issue. There's, could sit somewhere left of center or whatever, right? Uh, But I think it's good to figure out where you are with this. Are you a type of person that excels really well memorizing and remembering material for a long period of time? Or are you a creative person that just doesn't retain material as well, but are always able to come up with new things on on the fly? Uh, I think it's good to notice this because if you end up in a situation that's counter that, then you have at least more knowledge to the way you work to how you're gonna to have to fight against it, right? So for me, I have to think about more ways that, that I could that I could uh, exercise my memory to be able to hang on to material, right? I have to think of memorization techniques, which um, was that book I read, Walking on the Moon, I think it was, or Einstein on the Moon. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It's a really, well, that's kind of ironic, I'm saying. I, it's a, I'm talking about memory in a book I read about mem- memory and I can't remember the book, right? It's called Moonwalking with Einstein. That's what it's called. Well, uh, it it basically outlines some different memorization techniques, and I've used a lot of them to be able to remember music or various other things in my daily life, like if I need to go to the grocery store, but I I found it's it's a very helpful technique. Rote memorization techniques just don't work for me, and they don't work for a lot of people. I need to have more associations with the things I'm trying to memorize. So for me, reading music is important because I can get a visualization of what the Parts look like, and sometimes I'm able to use that to recall a specific part that I may be a little blurry on on stage. Uh, sound is another way, of course, if you could remember the melody in your head and then use that to inform yourself of how far you feel like those intervals are apart or what the rhythms are. And then there are other visual and uh, memorization techniques, which you could check out in the book that are more ways that you can use to to latch on to the parts that you need to play. So I have to exercise these a lot. Now, I think my memory has gotten a lot better through music uh, over the years partly because I've spent time developing these memorization techniques and my awareness of music theory has advanced a lot. The more you understand music, the more places that you can like use them as placeholders is what I'm trying to say. So if I understand what a chord cycle is and I could say it's a six, two, five, one progression in the song. So, that gives me something to remember. It's not just random chords in a song. It's it will be very similar to about five other songs. So I could associate to another song or I could just remember what the Roman numerals look like on the paper. Now we have a way to attach a, a bit of information that we know to what we're playing and it's not just randomness. Uh, the tricky thing about randomness is it, it's, uh, you might be able to play it in the moment, but it's really hard to remember it long-term because you, you don't have anything to connect it to. So I found that those connections help and I do use music theory a lot for that, just to, to be able to um, look at it and, and, and label it and categorize it in my brain. Even when you get to this point though of memorizing your material for a gig, That first gig is difficult because of some of the similarities I was talking about earlier with the difficulties of doing that charity gig where I just had to jump on stage, Uh, distractions, or distractions are such a major component of performance. You can really have your stuff together and you can hear something as you're playing and it could completely distract you and throw you completely off course and you could just miss your parts and make mistakes. It's one thing that is, so different from being in the rehearsal room and one of the questions I get sometimes from students and and uh, people when I've been doing master classes or consultations is you know, what's so different about performing live and there's, there's a couple of things so one of them is that when we're at home and we're practicing we have a tendency to play a song multiple times in a row you'll play it and you'll say oh I didn't do that so I'm just going to play it again Well, that's not realistic to how live performances you get on stage, you have one time to hit it and that's it. So if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. So if we practice that way, then we could start to emulate how we would be in a live situation or look for water leaks and find out how airtight, performances so one thing i'm doing when i'm getting ready for a gig i'll pick up the guitar i'll play the song once through and this actually works for drums too i do it when i play drums or piano or bass on a gig i play the song once through i put the instrument down i come back an hour two hours later and i do it again i don't play it more than once and i take note of the mistakes i make now i could write it down the mistakes i make but don't look at the mistakes before you play the song the next time uh, observe them after you do. So if I'm playing a song, what's called, uh, uh, we have a Fife and Drum song, which is my band, fifeanddrum.com, uh, my blues band with my wife. We have a song called Wicked Tongue. So if I'm going to play Wicked Tongue and and uh, I'm going to practice it, play it once. If I made a mistake and say I didn't, I didn't go to the bridge in the right spot, I'm going to write down a piece of paper and I'm going to look at it And then I walk away and and I might look at it one more time, like in a half hour after that. And then I'm gonna let it sit for a long time. The rest of the next hour and a half, pick up the guitar and then I'm gonna play it again and see if I was able to correct that mistake. And then I'll put the guitar down and, and do it again. Now, if it's gonna be a tour, I will do this for the whole set. I'll play through the whole set and take my notes and then walk away and pick up the guitar, whatever, and just be playing and and play through the whole set again. This is emulating what that experience is going to be like to get on stage and see how well you know the material before you have to play it, right? So that's one element of uh, preparing yourself to play live. Now, the other element is controlled environment, Uh, we're often practicing and preparing in the same room. So there's a bit of a, a visual comfort that we get used to. We tend to sit in the same exact spot, same position. I'd mix it up. Move to a different room in the house and be somewhere that you're not used to being, and then play the songs one through, one time through. Again, use that same philosophy and see how well you're performing there. Maybe do it each time in a different room. Uh, the acoustics are going to be different. Uh, your your uh, surroundings and visualiza- visualizations are going to be different. There's a lot of new uh, stimulating information that you're not used to seeing, even if it's your own house. You could take it a step further and go out in public somewhere. You can sit in a park bench, and if you're playing quiet, always really going to hear you. It's not about them hearing you. It's about you having to contend with a lot of distractions around you, kids running by on scooters or wildlife or just loud noises. And that brings up another point about playing live is things that will throw you are live noises. Sounds you're not used to hearing. A mix on stage that isn't good will throw you because all of a sudden you're going, man, ah, this mix sucks. And all of a sudden you're, you're distracted from your playing. Your concentration is broken and you've, not remembering what the next part of the song is. The same thing can go with somebody drops a glass and busts it, or I don't know, there's um, somebody you recognize in the audience, or there's so many different things on a gig that that can distract you. Because there's so many stimulating factors, there's sound around you, there's new environments, sometimes it's a venue you never played before. Uh, You're you're pulled in a lot of different directions. So if you try to emulate as much as you can in, your environment, before you get on stage, you're going to build up some more skills to be able to handle when these situations arise on gigs. It's like you want to basically create this scenario where you don't get distracted by many other things that can distract us on gigs, right? So you if anything happens, like you, you have like laser sharp focus and nothing will pull you away from that. And the only way to do that is to try to, well, first of all, to be in those situations more, the more that you're performing, the more comfortable you get in those environments. But even after that, like you can be thrown even after having a lot of experience being on stage. So as you're learning new material, it's um, it's good to do that. Yeah, the more that you know material, the less that's a factor because you can get to that point where some music you could play in your sleep and so your, your fingers and your mind just have done it enough that they could just go there and... Uh, if something happens around you, it doesn't throw you off, but particularly if you're doing a first gig on a run of gigs or you don't play often with a band, it's much more problematic because you haven't often reached that level of like, over-learning the material. As I mentioned with the one-off, the one-song charity event I did, I think if you're doing a gig and it's a one-off gig, you haven't played the material in a long time, the simpler your rig can be in this situation could also be helpful because the more things that you have to focus on, the more it's that, that aren't playing, the more it's gonna pull your attention away, especially in a situation where you have a lot going on around you. So that's another point of discussion is like, not only are we trying to make sure that we're not getting distracted on the gig by, random sounds and stuff, uh, we have to make sure that we can manage using our gear and focus on the music and not be distracted at the same time. So uh, let's add another element into this practice routine. And as you're getting the material down, you wanna practice all your effects changes or, or instrument changes or whatever you're doing uh, is in the same manner. So I'll, I would first proceed with everything I mentioned with playing in different rooms and spacing it out by a couple hours. Once you get comfortable with the material, then we have to add in the changes or whatever we have to do gear wise. Maybe we're switching a guitar, maybe we're turning pedals on and off at different points of songs. We also want to include this in the routine as well, but also with changing environments. Because don't just think that because oh you know the material, well concentrating on the pedals isn't going to be too much of an issue because it is because you're still going to deal with the same set of factors of like, um, the sound not being great on stage potentially or uh, something happening and, and, uh, the, the vocalist's mic cuts out on the gig for a little bit, and you get distracted by that, and and it's right at the time that you have to make a pedal change, and it's a, a transition into a different section of the song that you don't know as well. Uh, somebody drops a glass, and people are yelling, and know I mean, there's just so many different things that um that can distract you. The temperature of a room, uh, somebody's cell phone going off, so many things uh, that will also d- that disrupt your flow with using your effects or switching percussion instruments, switching guitars, switching basses, changing presets on synthesizers, any of these things have to also be practiced in a way that if you hear distracting sounds or or anything that's distracting, that you can stay focused and be able to operate those in stressful situations. So simulated stressful situations aren't just for the playing aspect of it. It's also for the switchovers and and doing any kind of sound uh, modification that you need to do on a gig. How much time does it take you to switch a sound between songs? That's something you have to figure out too. I've seen that happen. People practice songs at home and they they know that they have to change the, some settings on pedals in between songs. And because they're not running the set like a set or emulating distractions around them, they don't really have a good sense of how long it takes to switch between. Then you get on stage and... And then there's just so much dead time in between songs. It's just like silence and you really feel the length. Well, I would say it's also, I don't know, distorted on gigs. Like the, the amount of time between songs, three seconds can feel like a minute sometimes. It's just dead air and you're just like, ah, now what? So... Um, despite it being distorted, I think we need to get ourselves in a point that we understand how much time it actually takes to transition. How long does it take you to switch between a guitar and change a tuning or even take the guitar you are using and move it into an alternate tuning, for instance. What amount of time does that require? What do you have to do in that time to facilitate that to make it more smooth? There's a lot of elements into playing live. The more you can lock down the peripheral stuff that can distract you the stronger you're going to be at performing material that maybe you haven't quite performed enough yet, or aren't as comfortable with, this is your your shining light in this, right? This is going to get you through it is to just be ironclad about like, what, somebody could run past me with a an air horn and it's not going to phase me, right? It's just like, you're locked into a channel and you're on it and you're going to be able to proceed regardless. That's the place you want to get to, but that takes some preparation in order to be able to do that effectively. One last tip is about sitting in with bands on gigs. That is a tricky scenario because often your gear isn't on stage at that point, and you have to use somebody else's gear when you jump on stage, you have to plug in. I, I think one thing I learned the hard way was to make sure that I have my own guitar ready and I have some sort of gain pedal at hand that is battery operated, don't try to use anything that has to take nine, uh, a nine volt DC like a like a power supply because you're not always going to be able to find a spot to plug it in you really literally just have to take your guitar and plug it in and something should be in the middle of it like a like a I find for me a game pedal because an amp may be too clean or who knows what what I'm stepping into so at least if I have a game pedal if the amp is too clean I can get a little more sustain out of it this happened to me in Chicago we were opening for this band called leftover salmon they've been on on the jam scene for quite a long time. Great band, really cool guys. Hung out with Vince and Drew a few times before the show because we also happened to be on similar festivals and stuff. And so we ended up opening up for them. This is when I was touring with Amy Helm uh, in Chicago, great theater. And they asked me to sit in and I walked on stage. I didn't take my own guitar or anything. They had me and Amy up and I got up there and Vince gave me his guitar to play. He is primarily a clean Electric guitar player into an amp on stage. And it was a hard to play for me because I like to have a little more sustain on the guitar. And so it was not a conducive sound for the type of playing that I was going to do sitting in. And I, it wasn't long after that that I saw Warren Haynes sit in with somebody in a SAM side stage. It a festival we were on. And there he was with his guitar and two cables plugged into a pedal. And he walked out on stage, he just dropped the pedal down, plugged in the amp, and he was ready to go. So he already had a sound and he had an instrument he was comfortable with. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have thought, how did I not think of that? You know, instead of um, playing a guitar that was really set up and, and the sound was designed for Vince's playing in that band. That was that was his uh, his role was a lot of rhythm guitar playing and stuff in that band. And if he's playing single note stuff, it's, it's, uh, it's clean. It's clean bass sound. So that wasn't matching what I was doing. And, and if I would have had the foresight to do that, I would have felt a lot better about how I sounded when I sat in with him because I think it just, it, it didn't work out so well. I don't, I don't think I sound particularly good uh, when I sat in like that. And it's a hard situation because you want to sit in and you being, have, have a song thrown at you, you don't know, and you want to sound good and people throw a solo to you and you want to sound good. You need a few elements for that to happen. So have a battery operated fuzz pedal or an overdrive pedal. I mean, it's something that you're comfortable with and you know how to operate well. Maybe it's a TS9, maybe it's a Analog Man Sunface, which is what I keep in my bag a lot. I have a, a Germanium Sunface that I really like a lot that I always use on battery. All my fuzz pedals, I only operate on battery. I keep that in my bag, and I'm able to just get up on stage if, if somebody asks me to sit in, and I can I can jump right in, particularly on a on a stage where they you know they're out. I'm not going to have my own rig on. One last bit of information this week. I want to give a tip about a compositional process or a technique that a lot of composers use that I've found out that people that are coming from the folk or rock world aren't aware of as much. And it's it's a pretty simple concept, but when I first learned it, it was just like I hadn't really considered that so much. And there's a couple of things that we do and we want to uh, elaborate on an idea that we have. So one of them is... Uh, just playing it backwards and retrograde. And I don't mean like using a tape effect to reverse the sound. So what you're playing is played backwards trick like the Beatles and bands and Hendrix used to do in the sixties. I'm actually talking about if you have a melody line that you actually look at the melody line and then you play the notes backwards. So it's a, different organization of the notes than it was when you were playing it forward. So composers start using this as a means to develop their materials. Instead of constantly having to create new ideas to present, they're starting with an idea and they're finding different ways to create variations based on one idea. So often when you hear some forms of or some compositions from classical composers, it's built on fewer ideas than you may realize. It's built on I found this to be really helpful as a songwriter and in a lot of the rock and pop music idioms because sometimes we always feel like, oh, I gotta come up with something new, I gotta come up with something new. And you feel like you're starting from scratch to try to find something, but already you have a lot of material and there's just different ways that we can manipulate it. Right? Another way would to be to do something that we call inversion. Now inversion is basically reorganizing or flipping the interval relationships of the notes, like almost like a mirror image. So I'm going to use, uh, let's use major intervals, right? So based on the C major scale. So if I went C to E, that's a major third. I'm going to go to D, that's a major second. Then back up to E, major third. And then G, perfect fifth. C, E, D, E, G, right? One, three, two, three, five. Okay, so that you see, it's going up, down, up, up. I'm going to keep that C as our center point, but now I'm going to use the, Major third, major second, major third, perfect fifth, but downward motion. So if I'm at a C note, what's down a major third from there is A flat. Okay, down a major, okay. So what is up a major second, right? From, or I'm sorry, down a major second from C is a B flat. Right. then we're gonna go down to the major third again, which is A flat. And then we're gonna go down to the perfect fifth, which is F. So F to C is a perfect fifth. So now what we have is we have a mirror image of that melody line. Let's listen to it. So C, E, D, E, G. Do the inversion now. C, A flat, B flat, A flat, F. So they're a slightly different vibe. I mean, they do share the same intervallic makeup. but they sound different enough that you can use that to take something a little further or continue to develop your idea but not have it sound the same. We can also approach the variations and development with speed. So we can take a melody line that we have and we can play it faster or we could play it slower. And it's called augmentation or diminution. And this allows us to stretch something out. Like say if we have a very fast moving riff in the verse then we could take that same riff maybe and slow it down half the speed for the chorus it's amazing how the rate of harmonic change can change our perception over a piece of music and it's one way that if you have like a static chord progression or that you want to keep having over and over again but it's feeling too static you could simply play with the rate that it's playing at to create a feel of change. I would recommend that you experiment with retrograde, which is playing the melody backwards, but keeping the same rhythm as it was forward. And you could also do inversion. You could play augmentation or diminution, speeding up or slowing down. You can combine any of these. So you could do inversion retrograde, or you can do augmentation, retrograde, or uh, there's a number of different ways that we can combine these to create just different variations on one idea, one kernel of an idea. Uh, Getting good at this really allows you to find ways to stretch material, especially when you feel like when you're coming up with too many sections to a song and they feel disjointed somehow building off one core idea and creating these different permutations to allow us to make it feel more consistent in some way. Like it's all derived from one place as opposed to being random parts stitched together. So it's not just like a way to cheat your way through writing a composition. It's it's a way also to keep a little more coherency in one particular piece of music. If you have any questions about that, please reach out to me at anatomyofguitartone.com. I love teaching and talking about composition, music theory. I'd be glad to get deeper into the subject. Thank you for joining me for episode 21 of Anatomy of Tone. I'll be back next week with some new content. I've got some new sounds that I've been experimenting with and I'm excited to share my process behind designing them. And there'll be more interviews coming up in the future as well. So again, if you can leave a like or a review, view on any of the podcast services that you use help me out a lot. I Hope everybody has a great week.